whether we're exploring the latest in trucking technology, talking about the trends that propel the industry forward, or uncovering stories about the dedicated individuals who keep the wheels of America turning. This is where the roar of the engines and pulse of progress come together. It's sublime. It's surreal. It's the Heavy Equipment Podcast with Mike and Joe. Welcome back to the Heavy Equipment Podcast. This is our first episode of the new year. I'm your host, Joe Boris, here as ever with Mike, hot Mike Schweitzer. How you doing, man? Hey, we're doing good. Everybody's been sick. Everybody's getting over the cold. It's, it's sweeping through everywhere and everybody that I know. I mean, everybody's just getting sick. You get through the holidays. And I mean, we were going to record before, but it just. We were all and, and, then, lost- and then you went to CES. And then I went to CES in Las Vegas. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, you know what, Mike, as we talk about January and everybody getting out of the holidays and the doldrums there and the darkness outside, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Sure is. The Flying J Fish Sandwich is coming back February 1st. You know, now uh, that's a sandwich, Michael. It looks like one. My, my question is, I wonder if it passes a 100 mile test. If you it eat that, not. if you eat that, are you going to make it 100 miles down the road without having to stop? You won't make which, it 100 which yards. Which is fine. Well, yeah, if you don't make it 100 yards, you're back in the, I mean, you're still on site, so that's okay. You're on site. It's not a problem. You just got to plan the trip. You gotta you gotta eat the sandwich first and then do your business, and then get back on the road. We lost him a few years ago, but uh you remember, you know, Burt Reynolds, he had that crazy run. I just I just see people running with running through the lot. They're just trying to find a shady place that they can crouch down. Man. Oh, <laughs> You know, but there's no reason for that, though, because the Flying J stalls are actually quite nice. I've had a lot of no, nice meetings. Yeah, we're not there. talking about. OK, <laughs> listen, we're not talking about the Flying J's facilities because we all know that they are top quality in this nation. They what are I'm saying is, is that, yes, everybody's sick and they're all doing that. And you want to enjoy the new fish sandwich that comes out February 1st. And then you combine that with all the other stuff. I don't know. One of my favorite things about going into the pilots and flying jays is they really are kind of different. Like the ones in Florida are different from the ones in like Indiana or Wisconsin. It, oh yeah. It, it's a subtle difference, but like you'll get like alligator heads or something in Florida and then you'll get like weird cheese ornaments in Wisconsin. It's cool. Yeah. They all have that. I mean, even like loves and those other guys, I mean, they all have those when you walk in, it's just variations of the same stuff, but it, but the, what they are are different, really. I mean, yeah, it's, it's regionalized. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I guarantee you there are trucks out there going up and down the road and there's heavy equipment too, that those are all dangling in the back, like trinkets, just swinging as the, as the stuff gets moved around, you know, and it's just, it's like the old seventies bead curtain, but it's all made up of weird tchotchkes from flying J and pilot. Exactly. You got the, the cheese wedge and then you got the alligator head and you got a spur <laughs> You know, you've been down in Texas and, you know, you get some cacti because you're out in the Southwest. And then I love that. I think it's great. I think that'd be phenomenal. I'd do that. It, Somebody's got that on an Instagram or an OnlyFans somewhere. We'll be able to check it out. Well, I mean, it, listen, I mean, guys hang all kinds of Chosky stuff in their excavators and then wheel loaders and stuff they're in every day. That's true. Why wouldn't they do that? So right. I don't know if this is something we want to talk about, but, you know, Pilot Flying J, that group has always had 
a couple of different owners, but now Berkshire Hathaway, you know, Berkshire Hathaway is now the sole owner of that. That's of course, Warren Buffett's company. So it's kind of interesting there because they've owned a big chunk of that since about 2017, but uh, now they own a hundred percent of it. So that's going to change how those profit and loss reports are are put out, how the P and L reporting goes. That's going to change quite a lot of it, but I don't really understand why they would do that so warren buffett's philosophy and and berkshire hathaway's philosophy has always been to invest in something that is resistant to trends and like they're very famously invested in coca-cola like am i going to drink a coca-cola 10 years from now absolutely right and that's kind of how they make their decisions so that's kind of a long-term vote of confidence that these you know these service stations these service plazas aren't going anywhere. And, and, you know, I, I always come from this world of electrification and EVs in my other life. And I have to say, I think that these companies like flying J pilot loves, they are perfectly suited for people on road trips in electric cars because they're set up for people to spend some time there. You know, if they have the charging infrastructure, at least you have a good spot where you can stop. And in most places it's safe and charge your car and go hang out for a minute, take, eat some lunch and then take off again. Yeah, and they're already set up to be 24-7 for the truck drivers. We were actually we were just talking about this uh this week. You know, some places come and some places go, and then you go buy one day and they're boarded up, and you know, like man, I that place was really good. But pilot, flying J loves, they're gonna be around for a long time. Berk, yeah. you know, and Berkshire Hathaway buying them, that's that's a great move. There's very few staples out there, you know, and I'm sure they have a long-term play with it. And I'm sure electrification is part of it. And and maybe uh, the movement towards hydrogen, if they're going to start working on infrastructure, I'm sure that's a big part of it as well. I want to know if they're going to buy the Browns because I think they should. It could be the Berkshire Brownies. Um, I don't think that's going to happen though. I know. Yeah. Because the guys in the dog pound, that's all they're screaming. The guys in the dog. It is at the end of the, at the end of the stadium, it says the dog pound. And then you go and you sit in there and it is wild. If you don't watch, you're going to get just levitated down and dropped into the field by accident. Their field side, like they're all the ground level by the time you get down there. And I'm telling you. So wild. Next thing you know, there's just stuff everywhere. And at the end of the game, you're like, was somebody sweeping the field when we weren't watching? Where all this stuff come from? Where did this happen? You're sitting there. Who would throw an entire hot dog onto the field? Yeah, exactly. That's AstroTurf. That's sterile. Yeah. And then, oh, I got to tell you this story while we're doing this. (laughs) While we're recording. Yeah. So I was at this game one time, and uh, the guy standing next to me, we're all screaming and hollering and everything. And basketball game, there's a point where the Cavs were going to lose, and basketball g- gets stuck in the backstop um, yeah, like in that basket ring. Between the it just wedged the itself backstop. in there. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, game changer, right? Guy standing next to me, we're up, not very like real far, but we're we're halfway up in this 
he yells and throws his arm forward and the cup just left his hand and sails on down into the crowd. Oh no. And we were just frozen for like, you know, a good two seconds. Cause you're waiting for somebody to yell upwards. The whole place was so crazy and going so loud and so hard. We never heard anything. We just got more drinks. We thought for sure that cup was coming back up 20-something rows empty with a fist in it. That'd be quite a thing. That'd be quite a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was. He just went like that, and then it... That was it? 20 ounces Miller Lite went sailing. Oh, that was like $13 here in Chicago. Talking about that's more than that here in Cleveland. You guys always talk about, oh, here in Chicago, this is expensive. Come back to Cleveland. Cleveland's the new Chicago. Everything's more money now. Yeah, you guys still have the mafia too. That, that's nice. Eh, kind of. It's called the. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, I thought it was the Ohio State Patrol, where that one dude was in his trunk of his car, shot nine times, and they ruled it a suicide. <laughs> after they cut, after the fire department put it out, <laughs> we're gonna let this burn itself out. Sat there watching it get burned for an hour. I couldn't believe that, dude. I think it's out. <laughs> I think it's out. It's fine. Oh, man, that's wild stuff. But uh, speaking of the mafia, I was in Las Vegas. You got to cut out that whole thing. That that can't be on there. Why? You can't have that on there because we work for them. Sorry, you got to cut that out. It's so good. I'll beep it out. There you go. (laughs) It'll be like, you can't have that on there. (laughs) It'll just be be like, what are these guys saying? But I mean the recording the troubles we all right yep and i must go (laughs) oh my god speaking of the mafia i was recently in las vegas Las Vegas. Las vegas for the uh consumer electronics show the ces show and there were people were out there oh a lot of 180,000 people that's incredible yeah, I think we all got some kind of virus. There was that weird orgy in the Tesla tunnel run. That was kind of fun. But, uh, man, it was a rough show. I, I got lost. I was in the wrong building half the time. But there was a ton of really, really neat heavy equipment stuff and autonomous stuff. And, you know, one that I didn't send you was John Deere. They had one of their autonomous combines and harvesters. Yeah. And it's set up in Austin, Texas. It's got cameras and drone operators and everything there. And you can control it from your iPhone. You can literally just put your finger on the map and push it this way and that and move it around. And they had it set up so you could play with that thing from the show floor. And I immediately crashed it. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah, it's doing. I was like, what's wrong with it? They're like, oh, it's an emergency stop. You must have hit a root or something. I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) who knows? This thing's a little sensitive. Careful when you move your thumb. <laughs> exactly. You know what, what kills me is a lot of the farming equipment still still has an identity between the various brands, right? So you got Case, you got John Deere. They they kind of hold their own like design and, and appearance, right? Yeah. You can tell a deer from a New Holland or something, even if it's not painted right. the right colors. Exactly. And that, that's my whole point. And like they still hold their own identity with all that stuff. And 
I think they've always done a really good job marketing wise, all having their own look. And that goes back into the fifties and the forties, you know? And the trucks though today, and and some of this other stuff that keeps coming out and CES had the Peterbilt future truck that was, that was out there. You know, Tesla's had their truck of the future. Freightliner had their truck of the future that was out. They kind of look the same. They do. A lot of that central cab, central seating stuff, a lot of it is the same looking. I'm kind of disappointed in a lot of that. And some of the stuff that I was looking at from CES, I'm like, guys, put some character into it. That's hard. Because keep in mind, farm equipment, ag equipment, construction equipment, it really don't need aerodynamics. The point of it is not aerodynamic. When you start getting into like the super truck two and like the hyper truck and Tesla semi and everything is about aerodynamic efficiency, there really is a best way to go through the air. And most of these guys are getting real close to that. It's the same thing what happens in Formula One and IndyCar where yeah. you look back 40, 50 years and there was all kinds of different ideas being tried out because they really didn't know. Right well, now we know we understand the science and all of it kind of looks the same except for the stickers on it. And we're coming to that with trucks. Yeah. But you know, somehow when you watch Star Trek, all those ships look different. They all have their own identity. The enterprise looked like the enterprise. It, it, it did the really saucer did. separation, which is really cool. And we all leaned forward in our seats and we all watch that. But going back to what we're talking about now, they got to do something to to spice these trucks up a little bit. You think they need like a saucer separation? Like the whole top of the cab just hovers off like a drone? No, but I think, I think we just got to come up with like its own identity. I, I think you're right. And I think you're going to start to see that, but I think what you're going to see is, is very similar to what we've seen in other markets, which is this like push towards retroism there's going to be the guys that have that conventional vertical cab, yep. you know, v- vertical grill, and that they're willing to give up a little bit of efficiency to have that look. You're going to see that from the owner operators. You're going to see that from guys who really identify that are not truck drivers for a paycheck, but who identify as truckers. They identify with that culture and they're going to be willing to spend a little bit extra because ultimately that's what it is. It's spending a little bit more because Right. If you can say, look, this truck and this truck, they have the same price, but this one's going to cost me whatever it is, $11 a day less in fuel over the course of whatever, yeah. however many days of operation. If you're a corporate fleet buyer, you're not going to take a second look at that truck based on what it looks like. You're just going to look at the efficiency numbers. And that means you're going to get an optimized bullet truck. That's how it is. Well, you know, a lot of us fleet managers, we talk about that stuff all the time, you know equipment managers, fleet managers, directors, whatever, you know, whatever our title is at where we're at, we joke about that because there are fleets out there that, you know, they look at something and if it's $11 a day different and they have 10,000 units on the road, if you got 12, we might go the cool route. <laughs> you know? You. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I totally. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Cause you know, I mean, do the math. You know, if it was $12 a day and you got 12 trucks, $144, you know what I mean? Like $144 a day, the guy don't like what he's driving. He's going to waste more than that and what he breaks off the inside of it. Well, that's true. I mean, I think there's a big component to this also of being satisfied in your job and 
being able to retain your drivers by keeping them happy, maybe that's worth 11 or 12 bucks a day to have someone experienced who enjoys driving the machine that you have them in. In a fleet that can afford it, I, I think it is. I mean, and I mean, and this is this carries on into construction equipment. I mean, if you're looking at the stuff that was at CES, I mean, look at what Hyundai's got the electric excavator, you know, that AI and so stuff. Flipping cool. It is. It's got it's four tracks. They've changed the look of the boom. They've added some functionality for left to right swing on the boom. You know, that's the stuff that I look forward to in the future. You're yeah. always going to have the conventional excavators. You're always going to have the conventional wheel loaders. And then you're going to have the ones that are out there like that. And you know what? If that works for a fleet, have at it. Why not? You know, the thing that I really thought was impressive when Hyundai came out to the uh, CES show, they had a see-through bucket or a see-through dozer blade that would allow you to see what was in the bucket by using kind of like sonar sensors and cameras. So you lift the thing up. And it projects onto the screen like the the windshield of the cab is replaced by a, a translucent OLED screen. And you could actually see what was in there. And as you're going into the ground, it's showing you like, hey, this is what the load looks like. This is what the rocks and dirt and everything looks like. And it enables you to like really keep everything balanced and stable. I, I thought that was really cool. I don't know how. You know, I don't know how useful it actually is in practice if it's not going to let you see gas lines or electrical lines, but I thought it was really, really neat. And uh, they also had their little uh, robot autonomous bulldozer there that they showed first two years ago to show how far they've come in just two years from this, you know, big four track autonomous excavator to this weird little thing that looks kind of like Johnny Five. It's tremendous how quickly these things are changing. That's a really cool project. And they've they've come such a long way with that, like you said, in a very short amount of time. I was, you know, we were we were going over some of the stuff earlier, but the you know, the electric mining equipment for underground mining, you know, that has come so far. It's so purpose built. You know, cat and there's a there's a couple other brands that, you know, but yeah, cat was the one who showed up at CES with like a full suite of electrified mining products. I mean, their whole thing at the CES show was all about mining. They had this giant electric underground dozer. They had an electric mini excavator that was still hooked up with hydraulics. They had, you know, just all kinds of underground charging equipment. It was really neat. They had a generator that was, they called it a multi-fuel generator and it could run on hydrogen. It could run on propane. It could run on diesel. And it would be enough and, and run clean enough in that like tier five environment to be able to you know produce power for the excavator and for the mining rig and everything else. And I thought it was a really neat setup for them. I mean, it is a neat setup. And we actually just got a string of work that uh, is 100% electric. You have to have electric equipment if you're going to work in there. It could be a forklift, man lift, scissor lift, whatever. It's got to be all electric. And is that because of the the company's goals, or or is yes. it like a, re, a re regulation thing? No, company's goals, and and it's some of the first of the private projects that companies are releasing, but they're putting the uh, criteria on there that you need to be electric, and it just reinforces that you're going to see more and more of this as time goes on. Yeah, and you know what? Yeah, sometimes when you're inside, there there's alternatives to electric. Or if you're doing some stuff, and we've already ran into that where they're like, no, we know there's alternatives, but we want you to be electric. 
it's it, it we just had a project review this week and i i was reaching out to a few other industry people that i know in the country and they said the same thing they're like it, it was like 2024 we switched over the calendar and then clients started saying hey we know there's alternatives out there but bring your electric gear yeah so it's it's coming it's coming quick well and i think it's it's such a visual thing, right? Like if you're a company and you have an ESG goal, whether that's because of your shareholders, whether that's because of PR thing or, you know, some other element that's driving that, right? Maybe it's a cost savings thing, but at the end of the day, it's really tough for a company to say, look, we're going to talk the talk when it comes to environment or electric or whatever else. And then you've got all these big, heavy diesel machines outside breaking up concrete and moving dirt. Exactly. It's so easy for a critic to just point at that and go, what are these things doing here then? Well, and the same thing with the underground mining. I mean, look at, look at how far we've come with underground mining. And this is where I'm saying it comes full circle from small equipment up to mining equipment that's underground. You know, you're talking yeah. about days of the old coal lanterns and, and uh, coal oil lanterns, and they go down underground and black lung and everything else. And here we're trying to mine with ultra filtration on the cab, all kinds of safeguards that are put into all that. Plus it's electric, you know, trying to make a move towards electric vehicles. And then there's all kinds of literature out there now. I, I get it thrown at me all the time, which is skewing everybody's deal where they're like, yeah, you're going to mine all that coal to generate the power to then turn around and charge the battery to charge the vehicle that you're going to mine the coal for. We did that for years with diesel fuel though. We did that for years with diesel fuel. What do you, I mean, we how just, you it just wasn't that? a direct linear. It just wasn't a direct path where yes, we're, we were digging up fossil fuels and we were generating power with it, but whether you have natural gas coming out of the ground, you're burning coal or you're using uranium to have a controlled fusion, you're going to create electricity. Right. It's what we do. Well, that's right. You know, and, and the other aspect of that, and the coal is kind of maybe not the best example of that, but we've talked about this before with diesel, where it doesn't matter what you're burning because you're not wasting any of the energy at idle. All, 100% that's, of the electric that you generate goes into work, goes into moving the vehicle, goes into moving the boom arm, goes into moving whatever it is. You're not sitting there spending idle time burning energy so it's definitely more efficient i mean i don't care if every ev is powered by coal it's fine it's just what we're doing now right when you get into a like a, a weather event and stuff like that and you're having a hard time charging stuff that's a whole other level but it's where we're going and i, I people that are just going to fight it are just going to get left behind i mean that's it you know, we, we keep saying this over and over again hydrogen's going to have its place electric's going to have its place the market's reflecting that and all the OEMs are, are anybody that says, no, that'll never happen. Look at what's coming out. All everything that's coming out is electric. Yeah. But those are the same guys, the, the guys that are saying it's never going to happen. Those are the same guys that, you know, back in the 90s said, I'm never going to carry a cell phone with me. I'm not going to give my wife a leash that she can always hold on to. And then when the iPhone come out, they were saying, I'm never going to buy that. A thousand dollars for a phone is ridiculous. My flip yep. phone does everything I need. These are the same guys over and yep. over again. A hundred years ago, they were saying, I'm going to stick to my horse. I'm not going to put some crazy fire explosion thing underneath my seat. These guys well, are always around and they always get left behind. It just is what it is. Totally. And, you know, CES is great because that's becoming more and more and more equipment based. 
Mm-hmm. You, you always have Con Expo, right? That once every three year mega event, it always comes around. It's a great time. But CES is the annual event and the, the turnout from the vendors at CES is, was incredible. Yeah. And you're going to see more and more of that. You know, we've already Absolutely. talked about John Deere. We've talked about Hyundai. We talked about Caterpillar. I want to talk a little bit about Bobcat. Bobcat really brought some cool stuff. They have this like Blade Runner apocalyptic sort of claw dozer robot thing that's 100% remote control. They did a great job showing augmented reality. Now, what that is, is they kind of overlay all the utility lines and power cables and everything over the windshield so that as you're operating this little mini excavator, you can see what you're digging into. And on the show floor in the convention center, they had this thing up and running and you could see where all of the electrical and gas and water lines were literally underneath you. And I just thought that was so cool. I've never seen anything like that. No, that's a huge push in the market today is, is getting yourself set up where you can do self-testing to find utilities, but have it be accurate. I mean, Ridge Tool and Milwaukee and those guys, like there's a few people out there that have really mastered as much as you can with the given technology we have finding utilities underground, right? With the handheld devices and integrating that into a machine. So you can look at something and go, no, there's something under there. Yeah. I may not know exactly what it is, but there's something there. Yeah. That's, that's a daily occurrence on all kinds of job sites. You're digging along. Oops has been there. They've been out there. They've marked it. And then you dig up some mystery line that no one knew was there. or They didn't even notice. They couldn't even see it with the GPR. So Bobcat though, Bobcat's always come out with stuff ahead of ahead of that. Ahead of everybody. Yeah. They're a well, huge innovator still, in that space. And they're still the only ones that have a full electric excavator and a full electric dozer. And what I mean by that is it doesn't use hydraulics at any point in the arm. It's using electric motors and actuators. Yes. I myself don't think that's a great idea because Bobcat stuff now only works with Bobcat. You can't go and get those hydraulic hammers and everything else like the, you know, that was the decision that Volvo and Kubota and Caterpillar made with their little mini excavators and dozers and things like that was to still maintain hydraulics so that they could use legacy implements and, you know, aftermarket stuff. But, you know, Bobcat's being pretty brave and just saying like, look, we're, we're building this thing all electric. You're not going to have to sit there for a half hour and heat up the oil and get it up to operating temperature. You're not going to have to worry about leaks and drips on job sites. We're going to just make this thing fully electric. And I got to hand it to them. That's a bold move. It's kind of like the Apple strategy. where like the Apple chargers only work with Apple and the Apple headphones only work with Apple and otherwise it's useless. So, you know, hopefully it pays off for them. At least a decade ago. Bobcat came out where where they still had hydraulic attachments, but the electric interface between the machine and the attachment, which did the control. Mm. So when you move the buttons around on the joystick, it actually moved what you wanted it to move for on on the attachment. That became proprietary. And as they moved towards uh, true CAN bus connectivity between the boom or the arm of the machine and the attachment that you had, they they started that down that path a long time ago. A lot of people criticized them for it. However, many fleets standardized on Bobcat, used Bobcat entirely. The machine, the attachment, we used their parts system, the dealer network, and it worked. The same people that criticized that 
a lot of them in, in my circles were the same people that love Caterpillar and use the entire Caterpillar network. So yeah. it's what I'm getting at is it's a big pick your poison. Right. None of it's perfect, but pick a plan and stick with it. The guys that really get left out in the cold are the ones that want to dabble in one thing and dabble in another and then complain that none of it works with each other. Well, you set yourself up for that. Yeah, but sometimes that happens. I mean, you know, you've got a mixed fleet, I think, to some degree. Don't you have scenarios where, like, you have to have a certain thing and this is the guy, you know, some telehandler or some vacuum pump or whatever it is, and it's just not made by the guys that you prefer, so you have to go kind of outside the ecosystem? Well, I get what what we did, and it wasn't my idea. I mean, I was I had this ingrained in me at an early age in the industry. Uh, when I took this fleet over, we we went out of our way to standardize it. So every excavator of a given size uses all the same buckets. The hydraulic couplers grab all the same attachments. All the all the hydraulic hammers work on the same size class of machine. We are a hundred percent universal. Uh, it didn't happen overnight, but the fleet had gotten to that where, uh, you know, unit number X had to have all these attachments drag drug with it everywhere that it went because the stuff was different. And what happened was over, like it took three years and over three, three years plus we standardized everything and just found those oddballs. And I had worked for uh, another company with the, with another big fleet and that, that was their legacy from a, a many decades before I started where they had said, listen, we're going to do this universally. It takes time. It takes effort, it takes forethought, but you, but you need to do it. And, and I don't yeah. care what brand you use. They, everybody has a good solution. John Deere has their way. Caterpillar has their way. Bobcat has their way. And you get into the very large equipment, you know, you have Hitachi now it was broke off on their own. John Deere's out there. Let's say broke off on their own. They just separated some of their North American deal with John Deere. We've talked about that in the past. If you follow the plan, especially today, it works. Yeah. Everybody's kind of pigeonholed themselves into their own little thing. Or there's nothing wrong with that though. I don't yeah, think I think that's fine. As long as the fleet's doing what you want it to do. And I think it's a good so it segue now. I think it's a good segue here that uh, you know, if you find a piece of equipment that looks interesting, you're not sure if it's going to do the job for you, maybe you rent it. Give it a try there. Hey. We do it all the time. We re-rent a lot of stuff. We try it out. And if we get to a point where we're renting it all the time, we look at buying it. And if it if it makes sense and the pencil works, we buy it. That's how it works. Yeah. Well, that's enough of a plug for them. We won't even mention them. <laughs> no, we're good. We'll move so on. Get for sponsoring the show. We don't even say your name anymore. <laughs> no, you know who you are and we know who you are. And really, that's all that matters. And we know that you know that we know who you are. That's right. That Come back right. next week for the next exciting episode. And uh, how do you want to close this one off? I was thinking of the well, Silverhawks theme song. That's one we haven't heard in a while. Tally ho! Wings of silver, birds of steel.
Tune in next week for more Heavy Equipment Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever you find podcasts. Uh, uh.